electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the big test for big tech, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, all reporting earnings in the hours and days ahead. We'll discuss and debate how much is riding on what happens the Investment Committee, here as always. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Jim Labenthal, Surat Sethi, Shannon Sakosh is here, the Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private Wealth. Go to the wall, take a look at where we are with markets. We are lower, albeit slightly across the board. May call it the great weight, as we do have the first big tech report coming after the bell in Microsoft. Josh, here we go. This is what we've been waiting for, a huge week, huge report, starting with Microsoft. What's riding on all this? Yeah, my, my only exposure to Microsoft, unfortunately, is through like index ETFs. But that is probably, if it's not the best stock in, in the world right now, it's, it's definitely one of them. Took a, took a while, consolidated while the fangs were, were out of favor. Now it's back on its horse. Looks like it wants another leg higher. Every single part of Microsoft's business is just absolutely perfect for this environment. You could say the same thing for Apple, by the way. These are not work-from-home stocks. They're work-from-anywhere stocks. They benefited from people upgrading all of their electronics at home, their computers, laptops, uh, iPads, iPhones. All of that stuff is going to look outstanding in the earnings quarter. And then the services revenue, I think, is where the beats are going to come from. I really think people continue to underestimate how much room there is still left in stories like uh, Microsoft's public-private cloud, how successful they've been, what a runaway train their dominance is. So uh, I like that stock. I think it works. Apple, I think, wants 150. I don't know if it's this quarter or next quarter. No reason to think they'll disappoint on services or uh, you could see upside in wearables, a lot of surprising stuff there. So I think that lifts the market. Won't lift every boat, but uh, these stocks have been waiting a long time to break out again. And I think they'll break out on news. Yeah, Josh um, or Shan, Josh makes a good point. I mean, and you have a big dog in this fight. Uh, Microsoft's your biggest position. You know, to, to Josh's point about, you know, these stocks have been sl- sleeping a little bit. You know, over the past week, they've started to wake up, right? Apple's up 11.5% over the past week. Facebook, 8. Microsoft, 7, going into the print. We can get to the others later, whereas the S&P over the past week is up 1.5%. Microsoft's an underperformer, as some of these other big cap technology names have been since September. So how important is this for your number one position? The earnings report is very important. I don't disagree with Josh. I think, you know, just the execution for Microsoft This is against a backdrop where enterprise spend is only going to grow this year. I mean, that is notable that we've seen Microsoft be able to establish itself on the consumer side of the business. We see growth in Azure. You know, remember when we were talking about Amazon Web Services? That was the behemoth. There was no chance for Microsoft to be able to... Forgive me, Shannon. I'm just going to break away for a moment. I want to go down to the White House where the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, is being sworn in by the Vice President. I would give faith and allegiance to the same 
that I take this obligation freely, that I take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office upon which I am about to enter. The office of which I am about to enter, so help me God. Congratulations, Madam Secretary. Congratulations. Thank you, Paul. Okay, we're going to head back to the way we came. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for all you do and have done for our country. Thank you. All right, we'll take it from here. Janet Yellen there, officially sworn in as the Treasury Secretary of the United States, the first woman to hold that job, the former Fed chair, of course, coming as the president pushing his $1.9 trillion stimulus package in which uh, uh, Janet Yellen has said, go big. Uh, she said that last week. Steve Leisman, uh, okay, Janet Yellen's now the, the Treasury Secretary, and you uh, coincidentally have a Fed survey as well to talk about, but she has said, go big or go home, essentially. Yeah, well, I can report, uh, Scott, that about 72 percent of our 32 respondents to the Fed survey think it's too big, um, although it might is worth saying the two things versus they uh, do not expect a whole lot of inflation coming in the next uh, year or two. And they do expect higher growth and they've gotten more optimistic about the economy and the stock market. So uh, they're kind of having it both ways. They, they don't necessarily think they need such a big package, but they'll take it and put it and bring it to the bank. Yeah, uh, of course they'll take it. I mean, because, Steve, the, you know, the, the reason many think we are where we are uh, with these new records for stocks is the direct result of what the Fed has done and the expectations of what the Fed may continue to do. And you know what? In concert with the with the Treasury d the Department, you've got Jay Powell and Janet Yellen, a pretty powerful com uh, combination. I, I think that's fair enough, Scott. It's a really good point. And, and the survey itself shows how dovish, how, how much Fed Chair Powell and the FOMC have been able to convince the market of how dovish they're going to be. Take a look here. September is when there's an expectation that they'll announce that QE of $120 billion a month will decline. November is when they're going to begin a taper. So that's, you know, call it 10, 11 months from now. And the economy is supposed to come back and sort of reach its old level on the second quarter of 2022. We won't get the next rate hike until December 2022. What's also interesting, Scott, I brought one other screen for you to look at, which is that the inflation expectations are that it does go up, not hugely, but look how low the expectation is, at least for our respondents, for the Fed to remain low or interest rates to remain low. They only tick up in 2022 when that first rate hike comes along. So, I mean, if, if, if people are kind of relaxing back in their chairs there around the set, Scott, and have their feet up and have their arms behind their back relaxing, at least when it comes to the Fed, well, this is why. The market is largely expecting that um, the Fed will remain on hold even while growth is restored. Yeah, no doubt. Steve, thanks for that. That's Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter with his latest Pleasure. Fed survey. All right. I mean, so, Shan, I'll, I'll come back to you. Uh, yes, we're leaning back. Investors have largely been leaning back, hands behind the head, feet up on the desk, thinking market's going to go up. But now the heat is going to get turned up, right? It's going to get turned up with earnings. Earnings matter again. And maybe they matter for the first time in a while because we are starting to look at what the other side of the pandemic could be. So, you know, Microsoft is first in terms of big tech. It needs to get out of the gate strong. 
I think it's a great place to start because I do think that we're going to see, you know, execution here. I would note, Scott, one of the things we've seen over the last several days that's important to note, I understand that everybody's really excited about what big tech can deliver, and there are reasons why. The rest of the market's delivering. We're seeing pretty good earnings reports. More importantly, though, we're seeing a little bit of softness in the cyclical trade. So we've seen a rotation back to some of these big tech names right ahead of earnings. You can attribute that to, you know, expectations that these earnings are going to be pretty good. But you also can understand that there's a little bit of fatigue maybe in that cyclical trade as we're looking at Washington. We're seeing the return of some gridlock. We're seeing things like reconciliation. The market doesn't want to hear about reconciliation. It wants to hear that we're growing, that we're ready to go, that the Fed and the and the um, fiscal side are going to work in concert. And so I think with these with these tech names, it's important that they come out. It's important that they deliver. But I think a little bit of this trade over the last several days has been more than just expectations on the earnings side. Yeah, no, you do have to wonder uh, whether there is going to be some sell on the news. Surat, you own Microsoft as well. Jeffries, uh, their commentary from yesterday heading, uh, you know, looking ahead, full steam ahead. That's their large, uh, their top pick among among large cap stocks. Reiterate buy 260 is the price target. Wedbush basically there. They go 270 from 260. They've got outperformed. They're expecting big things in the cloud as Josh is as well. Uh, Surat, you, you worry about sell on the news, though, given the 7 percent run into the print over the past week alone? I do. Uh, and Scott, I just want to separate. I mean, fundamentally, I think this is one of the best companies out there. It's really in the sweet spot. I mean, Josh and Shannon have articulated very well. Uh, so we, where you want to be is where Microsoft is. My, my question is, and just as we saw with financials, is you've got a great setup going into it. I, expectations are very high for the technology sector. And I think any type of blip or p expectations coming down, future earnings, these are not cheap stocks. I realize, you know, interest rates are at the lowest point, the fundamentals are strong, but, but you do have expectations that are very high and you could get a pullback. Having said that, you get a pullback. I think a Microsoft to me is an opportunity that you go back in and you buy some because it doesn't face some of the other pressures, some of the other fangs are facing with regulatory issues and what's going to happen in Congress. So it is one of my favorite companies. It is something that I like to buy if I get the opportunity to pull back. So it's kind of like a mixed blessing. You know, I do want it to have a really good quarter, but it could have some negative consequences for, yeah, the, if, for the sector. If, if it did, Jim Labenthal, the farmer's with us, too, uh, today. Uh, you'd be snapping that up, too, on, on a dip if there is one, Jim? I would. I would. But I, I want to add this perspective, you know, whether it's Microsoft or Apple or, or, or Facebook. You know, these stocks have kind of treaded water. I mean, you go back six months ago, go back to the end of August. Let's take Apple just as an example. You know, it was $137 a share and today it's $143 a share. So that's not quite six months. Let's call it five months that Apple's up four percent. So the perspective I'm trying to give here is, yes, we can look at whether it's Microsoft, Apple, Facebook and say, oh, my goodness, these are the tech stalwarts. They've come so far. You have to recognize that over the over the recent past, they really haven't done that much. And I think what that sets up for is a return to good, uh, good growth, not not the growth you've seen in 2019, 2020. I don't think these things are going to be the stock leaders, but I think they're going to be uh, good returners this year. You don't think they're going to be the leaders as they have been in the past? I don't. And, you know, Shannon made an excellent point, as she usually does, about the cyclical trade has faded in the last week and a half. 
I suspect that that's a pause, not a reversion. Now, of course, we've had so many head fakes over the last five years, one could be uh, forgiven for asking. But I think where the leadership this year is going to come from is from the cyclicals and from the small caps. I think the pause we're seeing uh, in the last week and a half is a setup for good earnings. And that's the fundamentals. You know, if you talk about a GM, you know, or a Viacom or a Cleveland Cliffs, I think earnings will validate uh, the large returns we've had recently. Let me be clear, Apple, you know, Microsoft, they're going to do fine. I just don't think they're going to be the top of the leaderboard this year. I'm wondering, I wish I could see Josh's reaction when you make that statement. And I don't, uh, I, I'm going to go to you because I'm, do you agree with that? What, that cyclicals could be leadership next year? That tech won't be the leader this year. It doesn't have to be. I think it'll do better than a lot of sectors. Uh, there, I think there are going to be moments where the cyclical trade really shines. Like, uh, we're going to get J&J vaccine data next week. If it's decent, like efficacy of 70% or above, you know what they're going to do. They're going to take those industrial stocks and ramp them to the moon. You know that already. All the reopening stocks, all, all the very economically sensitive stuff. So you know there are going to be moments like that uh, over the next six months, one year, however much longer this plays out for. So... Jim could absolutely be right. I don't think you want to have a portfolio that's totally devoid of cyclicality. The thing is, though, those stocks are really not that big. There are a handful of them that, that are of decent size. The market, if it's going to be a good market for the S&P 500 next year, is going to be driven by consumer discretionary tech healthcare. There's really no way around that. And as those sectors do, that'll be the overall tone of the tape. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot of ways to win uh, in the coming year. So I, I, I wouldn't fight with, uh, with Labes on that. So you, you do want to get this week going in the right direction if you're an investor in, in, in big tech. I think everybody would agree with that. Now, one of the issues you have to deal with, and you know, a couple of you have made this point already, uh, expectations and where these numbers have gone into the print, right? And I switched to Apple, which reports tomorrow. You know, reiterated neutral at Bank of America, their price targets to 150. Josh said this is going to 150. Apple outperform. RBC takes it to 145. There's been a lot of positive commentary, though, over the last many days, a couple of weeks about where Apple is. And as Kramer says, you know, all of those calls ahead of the quarter, in his words, set the bar too high. Uh, it makes it so it's so it's a dicey call to make. Uh, Shannon, ahead of the quarter, right? Now you have to live up to all the hype. And it's not always easy to do when your stock, by the way, is up 11.5% over the past week alone. It's not easy to do. This is really, I mean, Apple's important because it is the, the bellwether, I think, of these tra of the trades, particularly for individual investors. Um, I think it's all comes down to handset demand and where we are in this super cycle. I think that there will be some attention paid to what's happening in China. The economic data shows that the manufacturing recovery, like, it, like here in the U.S., is doing better than the consumer recovery in China. So I think there will be a bit of attention paid to that. There's also, you know, from a demand perspective, there is is, um, you know, production data and the demand for the inputs, that is used to 
estimate how many handsets will be delivered. And so they may have purchased ahead of those anticipating some supply chain constraints, which I don't think will materialize. So those are the things that we're looking for as far as the call goes. But I think overall, you know, if we see this robust consumer recovery, Josh is talking about it, there's going to be continued interest in this stock. Um, we trimmed this last quarter. Uh, just it had become a larger position than we were really comfortable with. But that isn't reflective of the fact that it's probably a good hold longer term in your portfolio, particularly if you're looking for consumer exposure. We prefer this over some of the more cyclical consumer exposure like travel. Well, Surat, who's most likely to disappoint? Hey, Judge. No, go ahead. Okay, go ahead first, Josh, and then we'll go to Surat. I, I, I'm sorry. I just want to interject something very, very quickly. If Pete were here, he would do it. So I'm playing the role of Pete. Just read Huberty. Skip all the other stuff, the neutral ratings. Nobody has time for that. At the end of the day, this is going to be Apple's first ever $100 billion revenue quarter. Is it 102 or is it 106? We don't know that. But $100 billion, $60 billion potentially in handset sales. Verizon reported. We heard from them. 5G is driving massive uh, uh, amounts of uh, upgrades and people into the stores. And, that, and they've been, along with T-Mobile um, and AT&T, super thirsty um, massive promotional activity around the 5G phones. Uh, Huberty says uh, the, the, the iPhone 12 might be Apple's best product launch in five years. So if, if you just focus on those things, if Apple delivers in those areas, I, I can't imagine you having a negative reaction. I understand expectations have been ratcheted up. They should be. This is an iPhone release quarter. And if you've owned Apple historically, when they've dropped a new phone in the middle of that quarter, you've done pretty well. Yeah, you don't, but you don't, okay, think, you, you, you don't think that the, the Huberty positivity, if you will, is, is already in the stock? It could be just starting. Again, this is one of several large cap tech stocks that sat in the penalty box for half the summer, all of the fall, and most of the winter up until the last 10 days. They really haven't done much. Yeah, this is true. Surat, what do you think about the, the point that Josh made? Look, I think it's very important for the index, but I think as an as when we look across other opportunities, you know, I agree with Shannon. The stock's done very well. Yeah, it's had a pause for the last few months, but there are other stocks as well that, that you can invest in. You know, it's definitely a bellwether, and we're going to watch it for other things. You know, we own Qualcomm. Qualcomm's going to be very important to see how much of the 5G is being sold the services for cloud. So there are a lot of other tangible things you're going to look for in, in this earnings release. But I don't think the market's going to go kind of where just Apple's going to go. This is very important for Apple because the next couple of quarters, if they've got the follow-through on the iPhone 12, is going to be very important for the stock. Well, and I who? think that's where people are going to look. Is, is there one of the three that's most at risk between Apple, Microsoft, and Facebook? Right, because we haven't talked about Facebook yet. They, they report Facebook as well. Facebook, Facebook why so? Yeah, I, you, I would agree. Sorry, that's my bad. Yeah. Josh, make your point, and then I'll come back to you, Surat. Um, I, I don't think, I don't think the, the uh, all-democratic administration here, the, the, the unified democratic government, is, like, cool with just, like, going another three or four years just talking and not doing anything. And Europe's getting more aggressive. So I think... They'll have an outstanding number in terms of, like, online advertising. I don't think the issue is there, but that's going to be something that hangs over the stock. 
Forget about the business, the stock itself. And then the secondary aspect is they are not as dominant as they, they once were. This is just a fact. TikTok was supposed to disappear uh, two months ago when Trump decided to focus on that. Uh, TikTok is not disappearing. And Snap, go look at the resurgence in Snap shares. These are formidable competitors to Facebook, much more serious, much more um, adept at capturing advertising market share. And I think analysts are going are, are gonna to start to ask more questions about the, the dominance of things like Instagram. So um, I think that'll be the most challenged of the three. Surat? Uh, I agree with Josh. I think regulatory pressures are going to be uh, pretty big on this stock. And also the WhatsApp issue, where um, if you've been following the stock, they've kind of taken a step back in terms of how much information they're going to be sharing across the three major pieces of Facebook. So I think that's going to give the stock a pause. And, and one thing we know is that investors don't like uncertainty. And when there are other stocks to own, like a Microsoft or Apple or some of the others, Googles, uh, you might see some money pulled away from Facebook. I think the earnings are going to be pretty strong, but that uncertainty is going to be an overhang for the stock. I mean, the other point on on which other stocks may do better, Josh, you, you've made the point that of all the fangs, and we did this at the very beginning of this year, you think Alphabet is the stock that has the potential to yeah. be the best uh, of this year. I think... I think it's out. I think it's outperforming the group so it far. Is. I it is. It is so far. I know it that is. No, you're right. Done really it, well. it, it actually it is. Yeah, this is going way higher. I listen. If 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 they drop an S one for Waymo, forget it. Like lights lights out. There are a lot of levers that can be pulled at Alphabet that people aren't even thinking or talking about, and are definitely uh, not in in the stock. Like if you were to do some of the parts and look at some of the areas away from advertising for the first time in a long time, there's a lot to be excited about. So um, I, for me, like Alphabet checks every box and the valuation relative to its growth is like extremely, extremely reasonable. I mean, since September of, of I mean, the group, including Microsoft, who is that, Surat? I mean, Alphabet's up 17 percent. Yeah. That far outpaces the others since September, a, a, a time period where we, you know, that's sort of the, the demarcation line if you will, of, of when a lot of these stocks started to sputter around, Surat. Right. Uh, look, I, I love Google, too, and it's one of our top holdings. I also think that you've got to look at Google for regulatory pressure. I mean, not just in the U.S., but people are looking at their search. They're looking at YouTube. They're looking at, you know, what is going on here because they're just the dominant player. Now, I think one of the potentials that could be, to, to Josh's point, you spin out Waymo, you spin out some of the other things. There's a lot more value. The sum of the parts of a Google is worth a lot more. So it is definitely a stock that I think even if it gets the regulatory overhang, they, are, they have levers to pull that you can enhance value on this stock. Yeah, so I, I like it. And again, you know, that's on my list of, hey, pullback, I get to add more. Yeah, I, I mean, I know why you know, tech is sucking a lot of the oxygen out of the room for obvious reasons, because they're the, the sexy stocks to talk about. Um, but Josh mentioned J&J at the very top of the show. Shan, that was your final trade on Friday. Uh, good earnings. Uh, stock is, is up today by about two and three quarters percent. There's a lot of optimism about the data on the vaccine that's uh, not too far down the road either. 
Yeah, I mean, I think from a revenue perspective, obviously, that that's not a driver for J&J. But I do think it's a feel-good story for J&J. If we were talking about J&J two years ago, and I remember actually talking about it with you, Scott, um, we were talking about mesh. We were talking about opioids. We were talking about talc. We were talking about this overhang of litigation. You were talking about this health care company that's just a behemoth. So now this feel-good story on the vaccine, you couple that with, Josh made a point earlier, the importance of health care. Healthcare spend is absolutely going to grow this year. We can argue about inflation until we're blue in the face, but there's absolutely going to be an increase in healthcare spending. They saw stronger demand for prescriptions. Devices were down. Device, device spend will not be down this year. It's certainly going to be up. So there's a lot of drivers for this stock. Um, this is a top 10 S&P 500 name that never gets talked about because of what the businesses that it's in, but it is a leader in the consumer brand space. It's a leader in devices and it's a leader in drugs. And this is a great place if you're underweight in healthcare, it's a great time to put a position in here. You'll get a nice pop from the vaccine. I think the data is going to be good. That's what they're indicating. And you saw Merck scrap their vaccine. So, um, so I think this is a, you know, this is a great core position in your healthcare portfolio. The other position uh, oft talked about by the farmer, Jim Labenthal's Raytheon, right, Jim? I mean, you, you have recommended that to our viewers on numerous occasions. Uh, that stock is up two and three quarters percent today as they beat uh, their estimates. We're talking about a stock that's sitting right in the middle, essentially, of its 52-week range. 93 the high, 40 the low, $68 is where we're looking at today. So what now? Well, so I, I think this goes to a point you made a little bit earlier about earnings season mattering. And this being a stock picker's market. Now, you, you have to take a stance on where you think the airline industry is going if you want to be in Raytheon. It's a little bit of a lighter version of Boeing, lighter only because its its defense business is quite a bit bigger. Um, but, you know, what you have to think about here is, yes, we're going to start flying again as these vaccines come out. And yes, airplanes are going to be purchased again by airlines. If you don't believe that, don't be in the stock. But I do believe that. And I think Raytheon is a good combination of the commercial aerospace engine business and the defense. So this is Look, I don't think at the end of this year, Scott, I don't think Raytheon's going to be on top of the leaderboard, but I think it's going to beat easily what the market produces at the end of this Let's year. Let's be clear, right? I mean, the, and pardon the pun, the, the runway of getting back to real business for airlines is no time soon, Jim, right? I mean, United gave us a real big reality check last <laughs> week on where this industry currently stands. If you're telling me that I need to, my most important thing as an investor or, or a trader or whoever's watching this program right now, that this is so levered to the performance of the airline industry, why in the world would I go near this stock now? Because Raytheon, much like Boeing, teeters on this on this seesaw of investor sentiment. And, and you're right about what you just said about United. Investor sentiment on aerospace right now stinks. But if you go back four weeks ago, it was great. And I think we all have to admit it's been teetering back and forth. Right now is where I want to buy a Raytheon or a Boeing, which I added to last week, because that investor sentiment is so low. Boeing was at 250 not that long ago, about a month ago. I think it'll be back there in a month. Those are the sort of trades, Boeing, Raytheon, where you want to take advantage of the bad investor sentiment right now because it's going to switch. Yeah, I know. But, you know, we're talking about apples and oranges when you talk about sentiment versus facts. Right. Sentiment swings a lot. The facts don't swing that much. The facts okay, are the fact you know that it's going to take a long yeah. time. Yeah. But at the end of the day, Scott, I'm trying to buy low and sell high. Investor sentiment turning from negative to positive is going to put oomph in those stocks, period. All right. Uh, who else we got this week? Big Starbucks. 
Josh, set our, set our viewers up for uh, what's going on with Starbucks and their earnings report later this week. I think it'll be outstanding. This is, look, this is a company that Wall Street, way prior to the vaccines, began to recognize as being uh, a leader in whatever the next phase of life looks like. Um, so digital, app-based ordering, loyalty stuff. They're doing everything right. They're doing everything better than any of their competitors, quite frankly, they have been for a long time. And they have the wherewithal to transform their stores and figure out how best to use the strength they have, the locations that they have um, for, for this new world, whatever it looks like. So they've gotten a lot of credit for that already. The stock made an all-time high. Um, but I continue to stay with it. I think uh, there are much bigger things in store for Starbucks. Um, it's a mature growth company, but still a growth company. Yeah. And I want to be in it for 2021. Yep, it's, uh, it's bouncing uh, right now as we see, uh, up one and a quarter percent. We're going to bounce, by the way, for a quick break. Straight ahead, we have the trades on some of the biggest calls of the day today, including a bullish note on one bank stock already up 25 percent in three months. So how much room is left? For our mystery stock and a reminder you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the cnbc app we're back on the half in two minutes old dominion freight line was built on keeping promises with an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate we keep promises better than any other ltl freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too that's what drives us to learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Top congressional Democrats have introduced a bill to more than double the national minimum wage to $15 per hour over the next five years. Proponents say it will give raises to 32 million Americans. The U.K. has become the first country in Europe to report more than 100,000 deaths related to COVID-19 and only the fifth in the world. Prime Minister Boris Johnson says it is hard to compute the sorrow embodied in that grim statistic. Huge protests on the day that India celebrates becoming a republic, including a highly symbolic taking over of a national monument, the Red Fort. Thousands more farmers protested, some driving tractors and others getting tear gassed and breaking through police barricades. And today marks the one year anniversary of the helicopter crash that killed basketball legend Kobe Bryant, his daughter and seven others. A ceremony is scheduled in Los Angeles later this afternoon. You are up to date, Scott. That's the news update. Back to you. All right, Sue. Thank you, Sue Herrera. All right, let's go to Kayla Tausche now. She has some breaking news for us. Hi, Kayla. Hey, Scott, we're getting a little more color on exactly what we should expect in the executive orders that President Biden is going to sign today on racial equity and social justice. Senior Biden administration officials say that the president is going to be signing four specific orders and they will direct the Department of Housing and Urban Development to advance fair housing laws. A second order will direct the Department of Justice not to renew contracts with private for-profit prison companies. A third order will direct all 
agencies to re-engage with tribal governments. And a fourth order will direct the Department of Health and Human Services to eliminate anti-Asian bias in COVID policy. Uh, now, uh, particularly, um, the administration did not speak to the dollar amount of the federal contracts that would be at stake if and when the Justice Department does go forward with ending those contracts. But we know that a few of these companies, namely Core Civic and the GEO Group, get more than 50% of their revenue, the lion's share of their revenue from these federal contracts. Now, they are staggered. They expire at all different times, and they are uh, concerned all different government agencies, uh, but certainly that is a massive uh, uh, expectation of a decrease in revenue in the coming years for those companies uh, as the White House is expected to direct the Department of Justice to end those contracts. We're expecting President Biden to sign these orders in the two o'clock hour and make some brief remarks, uh, and we will see if he takes questions later on this afternoon. Scott. All right, Kayla. Thank you. Kayla Tashi with that. Let's go to Rahel Solomon now. She has some of the biggest calls on the street today. We want to alert you to. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Scott. So yesterday it was Wells Fargo with the upgrade. Today it is Bank of America getting an upgrade to overweight from Atlantic Equity. So price target goes to 40 bucks. Analysts expect a strong rebound in operating profit given the bank's declining costs and recovering net interest income. And then to that end, analysts say that B of A stands to benefit most from a steepening yield curve. And Scott, as you mentioned before the break, the stock is up about 26 percent in the last three months. And Raymond James initiating coverage of some video game names, including Electronic Arts. Price target here is 164 a share. So broadly speaking, the firm sees the total addressable market reaching $200 billion in the medium term. It's already over $150 billion. Note also saying that video gaming was already taking timeshare away from other forms of entertainment. And then the pandemic accelerated the trend. And then on EA, Ray J points out that it has a dominant sports lineup. This stock hitting a fresh 52-week high today before now slipping toward the flat line. Scott. All right, Rahel, thank you for that. All right, uh, Surat, you first because uh, B, and a, B of A is yours. Uh, yeah, I like BOA. I mean, BOA for all the financials is the most diversified. If you're looking for, you know, interest margin, you're looking for consumer, they've got M&A, they got wealth management. So it's kind of like playing all of them. Um, and it's one of the cheaper ones of the bunch. So it's got a good dividend as well. Uh, I like it. I also like the Morgan Stanley's and JP Morgan's to kind of make a, a, a total package. But I definitely like BOA and I think it's got a ways to go. OK. Serato uh, owns Electronic Arts, too, by the way. But uh, so does Shannon. So I'm going to hear from you. It's a great call. I don't disagree with this call at all. You talk about total addressable market. There's a bunch of us who grew up playing video games. And now we play video games with our kids. Um, and we've got, you know, as far as the business model is concerned, you're not waiting for those big releases to get that, you know, big burst of revenue. There's a subscription aspect to all of these games now. And although there was a misstep with the FIFA credits a couple of years ago, EA has absolutely rebounded from that. If you like gaming, you should be in this name because I think there's very few players that have the true depth and breadth that the EA portfolio does. Okay, for more on today's biggest analyst calls, you can check out the write-up on CNBC Pro. Go to cnbc.com slash pro to do just that. Joining us next, NFL star Michael Thomas of the Houston Texans. We talk about being a champion of financial literacy, among other things, and his nomination for this year's Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Looking forward to that next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. 
This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. Making plays on Sunday is what Houston Texans safety Michael Thomas might do for a living. But it's the many important issues he is tackling off the field including teaching young people about money that has become his mission. It's just one of the reasons why Michael is nominated once again for the NFL's Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. As you know, CNBC has a financial wellness and education initiative in partnership with Acorns, the saving and investing app. It's called Invest in You, Ready, Set, Grow. We welcome now Michael Thomas. Congrats on the nominations. Good to see you today. Uh, thank you so much, man. Good to see y'all as well. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's good having you. And really, your focus on financial literacy really stems from what you didn't know uh, right. when you were a kid. Right. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity for me every time I host my youth football camp, Camp Mike T in Houston, uh, to just provide resources to the kids that, you know, I didn't have growing up that I wish I had. And, uh, you know, given so much access from, you know, the college I went to, the people I've met, especially my experience in the NFL, you know, it's only right that I give back, especially when it comes uh, to financial literacy and investing and whatnot. You know, you mentioned the football camp. Uh, We should let everybody know, number one, it's a free football camp. Number two, it extends far beyond uh, skills needed on the field. We're talking about SAT prep, how to apply for college, how to handle money, uh, cost of living, budgeting, taxes, uh, contracts. The, the, the overall message here is that you may love football, but the chances of you getting a college scholarship or being in the NFL are small. Right. And, and that's the thing. Like, we're not trying to kill any of the kids' dreams, right? Obviously, you know, the football camp is probably what, what got the kids even wanting to come to, the, come to Camp Mike T, right? The football aspect of it. But we want to always just try to provide them with other things that might brighten horizons, you know, open up their minds and start thinking about other things that, you know, could probably carry them a long way outside of football, right? Outside of athletics. And even though we do all those components of teaching SAT prep, uh, you know, how to apply to colleges, talking about financial literacy, right? We keep it fun for the kids, right? We'll probably start at 8.30 in the morning, my man, and we'll go to about 11.30 uh, just doing the academic part before we even touch the field. But even from 8.30 when the first, you know, aspect of the camp come and we're, you know, talking about SAT prep and how to sign these kids up to a program to make sure they're getting the resources they need to score well on these tests, you know, we'll have one of the kids, you know, ask a question or answer a question that the uh, speaker, uh, you know, gives them. And if they answer something correctly, I'll say, you, you know what? You play Xbox or PS4. It's an Xbox. I'll hand them a gift card. And the next thing you know, you see all the kids raising their hands and they're racing to try to answer questions. <laughs> and it's just real engaging and back and forth, man. So it's fun. I, I know that giving back has always been important to you. And, and a quote that I read in, the, in a story that we wrote about you 
on CNBC.com, um, I thought was really poignant. I wanted your reaction to it. You say, quote, even as a kid, I thought if I make it to the NFL, I'll always come back and give that experience to kids, regardless of whether it's a surprise. You're talking about a surprise visit, which obviously kids are excited about, or a constant support system. I mean, where does that come from inside of you to want to do that? Absolutely, man. And I, I got to give a lot of credit to my parents. I mean, my mother who just passed away. She instilled a lot in me of just always want to be present in the community. always want to give back. And sometimes it might not even be resources for us like money and scholarships. It might just be your time. Right. And she was just visible the whole time, you know, when I was growing up. So I, I think I get a lot of from her and my dad just being that example of going to work every single day and uh, also trying to be like youth football coaches and stuff and the impact that they had to maybe some other kids who didn't have their parents in their life. So I think that's probably instilled in me. And then, like, like you said, alluding back to that story that y'all wrote about me, I mean, as a kid, I grew up, you know, you see the Play 60 commercials. I always wanted, like, an NFL player to come and, you know, just be present or surprise us with one of those, like, style uh, commercials. And I said, if I ever made it, I always make sure I give back. And every time I do my Camp Mike T or I'm doing some type of community event, I see the, uh, the smiles on those kids' faces. I see how it lights up. I see the effect it has even on their parents and, you know, the, the, the positive impact it has on the community. So I always just try to give back as much as I can. I mean, you're a leadership uh, in the locker room and, and elsewhere, obviously, through your work on, on social justice and, and financial literacy at all ages, um, really. Another thing that stuck out, stuck out to me is that you've been a captain uh, on three different teams. Um, yeah. And how you're judged by your peers says a lot about a, a man or a woman. Uh, can you, what does leadership mean to you? Absolutely, man. And it's all type of leaders, right? There's, there's the vocal leaders. There's those that just lead by example and, and everybody in between. And for me, the biggest thing is just serving. You know, I, I, I see myself as just trying to be as genuine as possible, trying to be real, be the same person every single day and uh, serve my men and trying to get better, man. That's all I try to do, regardless if it's something on the field, if I can offer perspective and how they can get better, how we can, you know, work together to, you know, try to try to make a play and, you know, help this team win, or if it's something off the field, if, it's, if they're going through something, just trying to be that ear. You know what I'm saying? If they, they might be going through something, you know, in their career, you know, based on my experience, based on what I've seen, I think you should handle it like this. And I was just trying to offer that perspective, and that's who I am as a leader. And I think over over the course of my career, over, the, you know, all the teams I've been on, many people probably see, you know, have seen that same side of me, and that's probably why they view me as a leader. And, you know, it's a – Huge honor. It's humbling for me, especially as someone who, you know, came to this league undrafted, spent time on the practice squad. You know, it, it's humbling for me, my man. Yeah, I, I bet it is. Uh, we wish you well. Hope you win the award. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate you and everything that you're, you're doing uh, for Thank our young you so people. Much for me. I appreciate it. All right. That's Michael Thomas joining us there. By the way, the 2020 Walter Payton Man of the Year Award will be announced during NFL Honors. It's a primetime award special airing on February 6th. That is the night before the Super Bowl. For more about the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominees, you can visit NFL.com slash Man of the Year. To read more about Michael's story, go to investinyoucnbc.com forward slash investinyou. And one last thing we should note, NBC Universal and Comcast Ventures are investors in Acorns. When we come back, BlackRock Chief Larry Fink releasing his annual letter to CEOs. What it means for one sector in particular, we'll talk about that next. We're back. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink publishing his annual letter to CEOs today. This year, Mr. Fink calling on companies to disclose and report their paths towards a net zero carbon footprint. I want to have this conversation. And, Surat, I'm going to go to you. You own Apache. You own Chevron, Pioneer Natural uh, and EOG. So Andrew Sorkin poses the question, you know, after this interview on, on Squawk, 
Must fossil fuel stocks be sold? Question mark. Don't they have to be dumped now? All caps. Then he asked Jim Cramer that question in their little talk back before Squawk on the Street begins. Cramer said unequivocally, yes, that you have to dump these stocks. What do you say to that? Well, I don't agree. I mean, I think, look, we have a 3% position in energy. These are the companies, Apache aside, the other ones are very strong balance sheets. They're going to be consolidators, strong cash flow. And in a world where we we're talking about a supply demand commodity and the demand for this commodity when you've got limited supply and nobody actually is so, so much capital flowing away from that sector, I think there is an opportunity to invest in here. Do I think it's a 10, 15 year trend? No, absolutely not. I think this is a couple year investment thesis. And then at that point, you know, these companies will either have to remake themselves or, uh, you know, we'll have to see kind of what their balance sheets look like. I mean, this is an interesting question, okay? Um, everything you said about demand for crude oil uh, may be correct may pan out that way. However, there could still be a lack of institutional demand for the stocks themselves. That could cause some of the stocks to underperform expectations, even if everything you said is right. I think you've already seen that, Scott. I mean, last year it was the worst performing sector uh, because capital did flow away from it for, for reasons, including what you just mentioned, as well as because you had just had a huge lack of demand. But the other part of it is that if this does happen, you will have private capital come in. Look at the amount of energy funds that are out there. These companies could go private at a much higher valuation, and you could stay private. doesn't mean they have to be public uh, investments. All right, we'll take another quick break. And as we do, take a look at some of the stocks hitting new highs today. J&J, &J, we talked about that. Microsoft reports after the bell. Newell Brands and more. Halftime's back in two minutes. Let's do the futures outlook. The 10-year yield hitting its lowest level in about three weeks. Bill Baruch, Brian Stutland joining us now. Brian, the fundamentals look how to you? Well, you know, they look like rates want to go higher based on fundamentals. When you look at CPI numbers continuing to rise and explode to the upside, that should push rates higher. However, as we wall ourselves off as an island here in the U.S. based on Biden administration travel restrictions, which, by the way, I think is the right move to do, that is creating demand for U.S. dollars and for treasuries. So that's going to keep rates a little bit tempered to the downside. And that's creating some volatility in the marketplace. So until we start to see things open up and volatility subside, rates are going to probably stay somewhat subsided. But I am underweighted for myself and for clients. I think there's other areas to invest right now because I think ultimately inflation does come back in the second half of the year. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe the conversation's changed over the last week or so. Bill, what, what do you see? I, I agree with Brian's fundamentals. And thanks, Judge. But we sliced through this floor of support that was created through the pandemic, and now it's a battleground around 137.5. It correlates with about 1%. There's also now a trend line from the highs coming in right below 138 or so. I think we stay contained. I think there's one more flush because the pain is going to come as this market moves closer to 1.5%, and the markets like to find pain. All right, gents. We'll talk to you soon. Brian Stutland, Bill Baruch, Final Trades coming up next. It is that time again. Shannon, you are up first. Final trade, please. Uh, Visa, we haven't seen the return of cross-border transactions yet, and the card, to, the cash-to-card migration is going to continue. Okay, thank you for that. Farmer Jim. Thermo Fisher, haven't spoken about it in a little bit. It's done consolidating. We're going to have a lot of testing for viruses and a lot of drug development that's going to propel this well-run company higher. Okay, the reform broker, you're up. 
go back to uh, Alphabet, broke out the first week of November, hasn't looked back. I would be a buyer on any consolidation days. Yeah, on a uh, what is a very big week for tech. Just to remind you again, Microsoft after the bell today. You've got Apple, Facebook tomorrow. So we will look ahead to uh, what, uh, we'll read through those reports perhaps to see what Alphabet may deliver next week. Uh, Sarat. Morgan Stanley, uh, the best of the financials, great wealth management business, really good in, in the capital markets. They're not dependent on interest rates. I think the stock's got a way to go with a great management team. Okay, thank you. Good to see everybody. Thanks so very much for watching as well. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.